you know, leadership and followership are two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. You can lead by your example as a good follower. You know, be, be the follower that you would want to have if, if you were the guy in, or gal in charge. Welcome to the Inspire Podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Egnall, President and CEO of The Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself, how can you develop an authentic leadership presence? Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work, but also in their life. So my guest on today's episode of the Inspire podcast is Paul Carroll. And I've known Paul for, I think, about three years now. And I, I got to know you, Paul, in your guise as uh, the head of the project management office at Scotiabank's uh, Global Hill Sill Operations Group. But um, that's only Paul's latest incarnation. Um, and his, in his previous life, he spent 25 years in the Canadian Forces. The first half of his career there was as an inf- infantry officer. And I guess, Paul, it was not exciting enough for you. So then you, you switched in, uh, and became, for the second half of your career, a special operations officer. I know you, uh, you've you commanded a number of squadrons, including uh, recon and operations. And uh, you did five tours of Afghanistan and retired with the rank of major. And uh, you obviously missed uh, that part of your life because in your spare time, little of it that there is, you became a managing partner of Pathfinder Leadership which uh, provides experiential training. I'm sure we'll talk more about what that is to the corporate world. So impressive resume. And I want to just start by saying thank you for coming on the Inspire podcast. Well, thank you for having me, Bart. I know it's taken us a bit of time to make this happen, but uh, as always, I'm uh, thrilled to be in your company. Well, all, all good things are worth waiting for. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, I, I wanted to have you on. I mean, I, I got to know you uh, in your, your new corporate guys and but it became clear to me you know in some of the work that we've done uh with scotia bank over the last few years that you're anything but a traditional corporate executive um and i think it's it's fair to say that you uh you have blended your two lives uh in the work that you do yeah i mean i'm certainly trying to adapt to a new environment and you know play the game in this 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 new realm but uh i would be uh, remiss if I didn't uh, leverage the uh, the great lessons that uh, 25 years of uniform service have taught me. You know, and what I find so fascinating about talking with leaders from the armed forces is just how counterintuitive some of the lessons that you've drawn on uh, to be successful in, in that world. And specifically the one that in our conversation struck me as being so, you know, inherently counterintuitive is this idea of vulnerability and its importance mm-hmm. for leaders. And I'll just add one more thing and then I'll, I'll kind of give you a blank canvas to talk about vulnerability. But there's a great photo on your Pathfinder leadership site of you, uh, you know, over in, uh, I think it's probably on one of your tours. And you, you just like look like the antithesis of vulnerability. <laughs> you look like someone who would... <laughs> I would run from if I saw and I was uh, not on your side. So I thought it was so fascinating looking at that picture and, and hearing you talk about vulnerability and how leaders need to build trust through vulnerability. So let me just start there by asking you, what is vulnerability and why does it matter to you? 
So I had to really spend a little bit of time on the the couch of the scotch in hand, amusing. <laughs> you know, how does one explain vulnerability? Uh, because it can be quite nuanced. And the only way I can really explain it, or how it manifests itself in my life, it's it's an authenticity. And and by that I mean it's being self confident enough to speak openly and honestly about your deficiencies, about your worries and concerns, et cetera. You, you know, you talk about that photo on the, the Pathfinder website, you know, that's a little bit of a veneer of bravado. You know, it was important to look tough, but if that's the only uh, trick you've got, uh, people are going to see through that pretty quickly and you'll be perceived as, as very inauthentic. So, you know, that, that image was for the bad guys, uh, internal to my team, you know, quite open about, uh, you know, as I said, my deficiencies and, and concerns. Uh, so it, it's about being real. And when it comes to dealing with other folks, being approachable and relatable. But what it isn't, uh, as you know, I spent time thinking about it over the last couple of weeks, it's it's not about whining. It's not about laying bare every single doubt or inadequacy you may have, uh, especially if those aspects are irrelevant to the constituency in which you're, you're dealing with. You know, I tend to err on the side of, of transparency and, you know, letting people know as much as possible, good, bad or indifferent. Uh, but of course, there's a Goldilocks zone in there, right? And it's about sharing the appropriate amount of info, um, but you know, not oversharing, as, as some people can do. So that it, is this transparency that leads to approachability, and I'm guessing that that is the beginnings of creating the other link you talked about, which is trust. And so maybe I'll just ask you to define trust as you have done vulnerability you know, probably a thousand different definitions of it. But to me, it's about a, you know, a positive view of or a, a positive belief in people and, and the expectation of others where you, where you can count on them in a positive way. And then from a trust perspective, you know, there's an old saying somewhere to Europe that, you know, trust arrives on foot, but it departs on horseback. <laughs> it, it takes time. It takes time to build uh, trust, like, like true meaningful trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that can be done obviously directly, you know, by your, your interactions with people over time or indirectly by, you know, your reputation coming from, from other folks. So when did you realize in your career that creating this vulnerability to build trust was important? Was it something that arrived at, was it an epiphany? Was it something that came gradually? Take me through your thought process. The, 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 the salient point in my military career when I realized how important that was, was during basic training, we were doing um, you know, an exercise in terms of doing what the military calls the, um, you know, the combat estimate, you know, a, a way to analyze a problem, you know, a tactical situation, go through a, a quick but formal process. I'm an intuitive decision maker. You know, when I'm looking at ground and, you know, from a, putting an attack in uh, concept, you would break the ground into left, center, right. Is this a left flanking or right flanking, or is it hey diddle diddle right up the middle? <laughs> but I would look at the ground and say, well, this is clearly a left flanking. What I couldn't do is articulate my rationale. Just it, it didn't come to me. And we were being assessed on this, and I realized that I was out of my depth. Turned to one of my uh, peers, who I only really started to get to know, and and he talked me through it. He explained a vulnerability. He didn't judge me. 
he helped me through it. And in fact, when I retired uh, a couple of years ago, he was at my um, retirement ceremony and I pointed out the story. It was a seminal moment for me where in, in a moment of vulnerability, I laid bare my inadequacies. Mm-hmm. And this guy set the conditions to help me get through it. You know, I'm, I'm obviously, I got better at that process, but I was, I was very weak then and I needed help. And it was okay to ask for it. And that guy gave me the help I needed. Hmm. It's being, it showcases to me that being vulnerable isn't just kind of saying, oh, I'm worried about this or I'm worrying about that. It's a moment where you have the integrity and the honesty to say, I need help. And that then creates the comfort level for someone to approach and, and work with you. Um, I know, Paul, we talked about, just as a kind of a side here, your story from the Blackwater retreat. Yeah. I mean, if I recall the, the, the story correctly and what you and I had previously discussed, uh, I had been invited to uh, speak to the uh, Royal Canadian Mounted Police on the topic of leadership as a, as a keynote speaker. Um, and while flattered, I, I felt a little out of my depth. I mean, I had obviously been in leadership positions, had been trained in leadership, but, uh, you know, who was I to, you know, lecture somebody uh, or a group on leadership? Um, but I certainly had this obligation and I was going to commit to it. But I realized that the best way for me to go through this process was to engage my team. So I had a squadron of uh, you know very seasoned special operators down at the, the formerly known as the Blackwater Training Facility in, in the United States, and um, I explained my my situation. And I mean, I wasn't entirely sure how they would uh, react to this because I'm, I'm taking their spare time to work on a project, uh, you know, that uh, only really dealing with me. The guys were great, and you know, I explained that collectively and individually, they probably have more leadership experience than I could ever hope to have. And, you know, none of us being smarter than all of us, you know, help me understand all this. And more importantly, those guys would know um, about my leadership strengths and weaknesses. And again, over the period of time we'd worked together, we had built that type of rapport where they they would be brutally frank with me, you know, good Hmm. points and bad points. And, you know, we had a very uh, fulsome conversation, um, you know, developed this this model of leadership based on, you know, collectively hundreds of years of, of military experience and some of that forged in the in combat. Um, so when I gave the speech, it, it, it came with a, a much richer texture because it wasn't just me pontificating um, based on one man's experience. It was exposing um, the lessons learned of, you know, 25 other uh, folks, uh, as well as the failings that, that created that experience, you know, mine and theirs. Mm. So, you know, that's kind of the, the Pathfinder model as well. Mm. The last thing we want to do is, is pontificate. What we want to do is help people learn, you know, how you can best lead by acknowledging uh, the mistakes that are inherent mm-hmm. in, in leading from the front. What I'm hearing are so far three things. You know, the first is you have a, a level of self-awareness that allows you to realize that you're not great at everything, but you are great at some things. And so you just have kind of a realistic self-assessment. And then the second thing I'm hearing is that you articulate that, you know, to people around you where you can bring value and where you need them. And the final thing I'm, I'm hearing is that you have the courage to ask for help, uh, particularly in, in moments of, of stress. Uh, and then that brings people together. Is that 
um, capture have you, the, this mindset that you've uh, built up to creating uh, creating trust? Yeah, if and I'm, I, I can't think of any examples offhand, but I know my hubris has um, caused me grief in the past, hmm. and it's it's only upon you know a little bit of introspection where you're like, you know what, you can't allow that to happen again. Right. You bang your head against the wall a few times and realize it's uh, it hurts. But then, and it, it's actually much easier once you've done it a couple of times to say, hey, you know, like I don't have all the answers. None of us do. You know, help, help me help myself and, and we'll go forward from there. And ironically, when I got hired at the bank, um, you know, I did a, a series of, um, you know, speed dates with uh, right. some of the executives. And at the end of it, uh, you know, my boss, uh, uh, Simon, says, okay, Paul, we're going to hire you for two reasons. I'm like, oh, well, we'll do tell. And I'm yes. curious to know. <laughs> the first one is it's the military, you know, leadership, planning, discipline, et cetera. Uh, he needed a good change agent, somebody that could, you know, help him plan things. So that made sense to me. And he says, the second reason we're going to hire you is that you don't know the first thing about capital markets. <laughs> you went from feeling great to feeling like, oh, is this a backhanded compliment? <laughs> we're going to hire you for extreme ignorance. <laughs> <laughs> it did catch me a bit flat-footed. You know, I developed a bit of a rapport with the man at that point, And I said, so let me get this straight. Half the reason you're hiring me is because I'm stupid. <laughs> said, no, 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 that's not at all what I'm saying. Um, you know, they wanted somebody to ask the, the, the stupid questions. I said, well, great. That's one of my superpowers. We'll get along just fine. <laughs> Right. Um, but, yeah. you know, again, not being a banker, I freely admit my deficiencies within the bank about right. um, some of the complexities of banking and financial products. Um, but that's okay, because that's not why I was hired. And, you know, I, I get to learn literally every day about some of this stuff. So, yeah. you know, I think your, your Simon was onto something when he said, you know, your outsider status will embolden and empower you to ask what needs to be asked. Yeah, and, and we've just uh, brought in a, a new member to the team here. Uh, you know, he's been with the bank for a couple of years, but he's coming from a different uh, geographic location. Mm-hmm. And he gets to be the new guy now. Yes. And I've, I've charged him with the responsibility. Like, like, you have to ask the stupid questions now, because now I've become part of the uh, the wallpaper here. Your establishment now, Paul. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. I'm the yeah. old guard. Yeah. But, you know, constantly challenging that. And I told him, I said... It's very hard to offend me, and dare say it's almost impossible. <laughs> you know, challenge me on the way I'm running the shop here, right. because you will have a different perspective. And you know, again, and it speaks to vulnerability. I understand that I bring my own biases to these things. Right. I can get set in my ways, uh, but we need to be open enough to ask people to you know, respectfully challenge. Mm-hmm. And, you know, part of the reason I hired this guy is because uh, he, he does speak truth to power. He shoots from the mm-hmm. hip. And I love that. I love your perspective. You know, you spent 25 years in the military, you know, half with the infantry, uh, half with special forces. Now you're in banking, you work with corporate leaders. Who, of all these segments, which leaders struggle most to be vulnerable and why? It, it, it's early days yet for me, uh, truly in the private sector, but I, I listen, people are people are people. Right. Uh, there's a lot of uh, parallels that I have seen uh, in the bank, uh, in other environments in which I've, I've worked or been exposed to, where, you know, ego becomes the biggest detriment 
to growth and learning and transparency, et cetera. Mm. And so let's say someone's listening and they're saying, okay, you've made the case to me, I can build trust through vulnerability. But how do I actually do that? How do I be vulnerable in the way that I communicate? Fundamentally, leaders need to set the example. So in, in a lot of circumstances, people are going to model the behaviors and the, the thoughts of people in those leadership positions. And again, when we talk about leadership, I'm going to be very careful that mm-hmm. leadership is not always about the person who is in that position of authority. Hmm. You know, leaders can manifest uh, at, at lower ranks mm-hmm. because, you know, the, what we teach in Pathfinder is, um, you know, leadership and followership are two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. You can lead by your example as a good follower. You know, be be the follower that you would want to have if if you were the guy in, or gal in charge. So it's where do you start? It's it's by your very example, and that is as I said earlier, it's about being relatable. So how do you be? Re- Let's say you have someone on your team who is not relatable. They haven't created the connection. They haven't created the trust. And this individual comes to you and says, "Paul, help me. I, I recognize I haven't been built trust." And I, I know you've, you've shown vulnerability, but I'm concerned about showing too much, about being too much of an open book. When and where should I speak in a way that will create that vulnerability? Uh, I think it's a, a test and adjust. If, if, if you're going to do something, enter a new market, um, you know, you, you want to do that little reconnaissance, little, little sampling. So open the kimono just a little bit you know, see how you feel, see how people react to it. And nine times out of 10, it'll be a positive interaction. When, when you share those little nuggets, you can see it in people, you know, they, mm-hmm. the, the, their body language changes because you're sharing with them. And then like, oh, I, I didn't know that about you. You know, I know when you served in Afghanistan, you were part of a coalition task force. So I imagine you're meeting people, you know, officers for the first time. Can you think of, of someone who stood out to you as doing this kind of sharing in a way that quickly built rapport and ultimately successful relationship for you? Yeah, well, we had a, a great relationship at this uh, American headquarters with uh, our Dutch colleagues. You know, if, if you were to, you know, stack rank the, the capabilities of the various coalition, coalition nations that were contributing to the, uh, the fight in Afghanistan, obviously the Americans had... Uh, not only the, the the size of the force at their disposal, but they had all the toys. Right. And, you know, the Canadians, the Dutch, you know, a few others, uh, we often had to, you know, beg and borrow in order to complete our, our, our mission, uh, missions and tasks. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes we were confused about the American uh, process. Some of the nomenclature was different, you know, there's, you know, NATO terms that, uh, you know, NATO used, but... The Americans didn't, even though they were part of NATO. I remember, you know, Ben from the the Dutch task force kind of me saying, like, you know, Paul, I'm I'm pretty confused about, you know, what this all means and and how do we do it. And I kind of, you know, did the shoulder check left and right. You know, I'm like, you know what, Ben, I don't know what I'm doing here either. And there was this, you you could see the, you know, the stress leave us both because we realized, okay, we're in this together. I'm not alone. And, you know, we've been, uh, we've been good friends uh, ever since, hmm. but it, it took that type of, um, you know, courage on his part to say, like, I don't know what I'm doing. And 
at the end of the day, you know, there've been interactions between he and I before that. So we had built a little bit of rapport mm-hmm. in the absence of any massive reveals of the deficiencies. So again, I, I don't think those types of statements are necessarily your, your opening salvo, mm-hmm. but you know, at, at a reasonable point in the relationship, you know, open up and, and, and make it real. That's a, I just love that story because you had some rapport, but there was that moment where he showed what he didn't know and you were able to kind of show, share with him that obviously was uh, pivotal for you both. I mean, one thing that you mentioned earlier, you, you talked about this, you know, the Goldilocks, not too much, not too little. So when you, when you have someone in your team uh, who isn't creating vulnerability, who isn't opening up, how do you signal to them that it's safe to do so? And how do you guide and encourage them to do that effectively? Again, it goes back to leading by example. That, that person should have seen you at least once, multiple times, demonstrate appropriate, relevant vulnerability. Mm. So, so they know that that is uh, acceptable, appropriate uh, behavior. And then, you know, again, much like any relationship, you slowly, you know, build that rapport. And, you know, you can ask the questions, you know, lob a few softballs, you know, how are things, how's the family, so on and so forth. Let the conversation flow naturally. If the person doesn't feel psychologically safe in order to share, don't force the issue. Hmm. You've got to be patient uh, in terms of building uh, that, that type of rapport. So, you know, signaling that, you know, if, if you ever want to talk, you know, doors open, um, also opening up different channels. Sometimes, you know, a face-to-face conversation can be very off-putting for some folks. Yeah, really? You know, I'm, su- I'm me- surprised to, to hear that. I mean, we always, you'd always, by default, think that in-person would be better to connect. Well, it, it's, it's good to develop the initial um, relationship, but if, if they're going to share something, mm-hmm. maybe it would be better for them to put it on paper. Yes. Now, there was a, an, another guy that I worked with, uh, the, 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 the toll of military service uh, really you know, put a beat on both his body and his mind. Mm-hmm. And we would have conversations face-to-face and there was a bit of a language barrier there as well. He would struggle to communicate and start to get, um, you know, a little verklempt and, you know, uh, choked up. I said, you know what, let's, let's just pause this here because I could tell that he was, he was struggling. Go, go put it down on paper, you know, write me a letter, send me an email, you know, put it on post-it notes, just get your thoughts out, kind of journal it. Mm-hmm. And then maybe that's a better way for us to do it. So sure enough, he went off and uh, wrote a, a rather long uh, email. And then I was able to follow up. And it, it made the, the next face-to-face a fundamentally different interaction because he didn't have to articulate things verbally. He'd already shared that with me. And we could just you know go through some problem solving or at least just let him vent um, where he didn't have to get into the graphic details. I love that. I love that you found that there was a different place where he could get into what was on his mind and open up to you without having kind of to deal with the, you know, the interaction as well, knowing that, you know, introverts, extroverts, for example, process differently, knowing that people, some are more written, some are verbal. It sounds like it's important to understand for your, your, the people whom you're trying to develop, how can they express their ideas and where do they feel safest sharing of themselves? 
Yeah, people have their, their preferences for how they communicate in terms of sending, how they receive, uh, you know, their, their, their preferences for, you know, all kinds of things. You know, they want to have a, a one-on-one. You know, some folks on my team prefer to go for a coffee, walk around the, um, you know, the, the path here in downtown Toronto, where it's, it's really more informal and, and conversational. Mm-hmm. Others prefer to go into a breakout room, close the door, and that's what makes them feel comfortable. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And creating, so. the, creating that context and environment for it. We've covered a lot of ground, you know, in terms of why vulnerability matters, how it's connected to trust, how you can create vulnerability, how you can help others be vulnerable. What, if you had to sum up the, the one thing that anyone looking to show more more vulnerability should start doing now, what would it be? Admitting to yourself that none of us get through this alone. There are few, if any, endeavors that don't require some type of uh, support, whether it be physical, moral, financial, et cetera, from other folks. If you aren't comfortable saying that, right, here are my set of superpowers, I'm really good at this, but you know, on the flip side of every superpower is a super flaw. You know, how do I reach out and have other people fill in those those deficiencies? So, you know, my my fatal flaw is that I would rather be funny than than anything else. So this has been a fairly hmm. uh, serious conversation, and the use of humor in stressful circumstances is you know, scientifically proven to be very mm-hmm. useful. And my old unit, it was actually part of our, our ethos, mm. you know, mm. humor in the face of adversity. Right. Only with the passage of time did I realize that I was probably overusing <laughs> that particular superpower, you know, couldn't wait, you know, to crack a joke in uh, whatever environment. And, uh, you know, I, I have to be, uh, you know, honest with myself and others. It was career limiting. Hmm. What I needed to do was find somebody to balance that out and say, you know what, Paul, uh, how about I do the talking here and you just, uh, you just step back. You know, we talk about vulnerability, being open to being authentic and being relatable and, mm-hmm. you know, using that as a, as a vehicle to build trust. Uh, you know, vulnerability in the sense of a, an actual weakness also needs to be considered there, right? Mm. And the, the, the two of them are, are certainly interconnected. Yeah, and I, I think you just summed it up so perfectly. I mean, this idea that we are all imperfect and we all have strengths. And if we want to achieve anything, it's going to be with a collective. And this ability to start with that self-awareness and then be honest with people about it so that you can ask for their help and they can feel good about coming forward has obviously been fundamental to the incredibly successful career you've retired from. And I know it's fundamental to the success you're having in this second act. And, you know, if someone who has risen to such heights in, in such an intense environment as you uh, has used vulnerability as a tool, I think we can all take away from it that it's, it's incredibly important no matter what walk of life you find yourself in, no matter what kind of leadership you want to have. Uh, so, yeah, I really appreciate you sharing your story for being vulnerable with me. So thank you. Well, thank you, Bart. It's uh, great uh, chatting with you and, and you make it easy to be vulnerable. Thank you. Thank you. And so if people are interested in having, I know we didn't talk too much about Pathfinder and uh, your, the awesome experiential programs that you offer to, to managers and leaders in, in all walks of life, give us the, uh, the quick snapshot and how people can connect with you and your company. 
Uh, best way is just to, uh, you know, go online and, uh, Type Pathfinder Leadership Associates into your search engine. Um, website will uh, pop up and then there'll be a, a little blurb on what it is we do and uh, a list of the, uh, the the team members that really make up, you know, what our value proposition is. And, you know, I, I alluded to it earlier. The most powerful instances of our leadership training is when these team members who are, you know, incredible, incredible leaders with uh, mm. a depth and breadth of experience share their failings. Mm. Hey, I'm not going to tell you about all the stuff I did awesome. I tell you all the stuff I did wrong. And you can see people like going, okay, now I can relate to this guy because I'm doing stuff wrong. And now we, we've got something to talk about. Yeah. And I know, uh, just from talking to you about the programs you offer and the incredible talent, it's well worth checking out. Paul, appreciate your time today. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for being vulnerable. And uh, go forth and inspire as you always do. Thank you, Mark. Great talking Thanks. to you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Paul Carroll. When you have someone with that resume who's served in the Canadian Forces in such dangerous spots talking about the importance of vulnerability and how you can intentionally create really drives home how relevant that is for all leaders. Next week, we have Dan Doomshaw on the podcast. Dan has been a consultant with the Humphrey Group for a decade, and Dan is also an improv performer. Uh, And he joins me to talk about improv, what it can do for leaders, and how you can incorporate improv practices into becoming a more effective speaker. So tune in next week and you can hear me do some improv.